first four verses, uh, verses one through four. And uh, to lead us into this, uh, Jonah was uh, told by God to go uh, to Nineveh and call out against it, and he didn't do that. He, he went to a ship bound for Tarshish and trying to get away from the Lord, and a storm comes up, and, and everyone realizes God's angry at somebody here. Who is it? And Jonah says, it's me. Throw me overboard. And eventually they do, and, and a fish swallows Jonah, and then Jonah calls out uh, to the Lord. That's in chapter 2. And, and uh, then the fish spits uh, Jonah back out on the land, and Jonah does eventually go to Nineveh. And uh, that's where we were uh, last week in this story. Jonah in Nineveh, and he calls out against it, and Nineveh repents. And uh, we, we finished up at, at verse 10 of chapter 3, when God saw that Nineveh repented from their sin uh, and how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he was going to do to them. He said, in 40 days, I'm going to destroy you. But then uh, they, they turned away from that sin and they changed their ways and we walked this balance last week between uh, being saved by faith which we are and that's very clear in scripture where we are saved by faith the grace of of God but also there's this way of living and God sees that and so we have to balance that through our lives and and so uh, as the story moves forward now, uh, Nineveh has repented, and now the focus is on Jonah, and the lessons get really hard as we look at Jonah. And so let's uh, pick it up, uh, Jonah chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what it reveals about you and reveals about us, even if those lessons are hard. And so as we look at this passage, we ask that you will speak to our hearts and that you will grow us in your truth through Jesus Christ. Amen. One of the uh, themes I've hit on uh, a few times as we've gone through Jonah is just how this is a story of surprises. You know, if, if you had never seen this story and it was a movie, and, and you were to go to see the movie, it would just be one twist and turn after another. Uh, here's a prophet of God, a, a guy who, who speaks God's words, and, and God says, I want you to go to Nineveh, and the prophet of all people runs and goes the other way, trying to get away from the Lord, and, and then there's a storm, and he gets thrown overboard, and 
and you're thinking, well, that's the end of Jonah. But no, there's a fish who swallows him. And you think, well, Jonah's now eaten. But no, it gets better. No, he gets spit back out on the ground. And, and then he does go to Nineveh. And you think, well, they're going to beat him up and probably kill him in Nineveh. No, they repent. It's just one thing after another. You're like, this twists and turns all over the place. And, and when we get to chapter 4, which is sometimes overlooked... This is perhaps, especially in these first four verses, perhaps the most surprising of all of the things that have happened so far. Imagine this. Imagine God were to come to you and, and say, I want you to go to this area, and wherever that area is, and here are these pagans, and they're cruel, they're mean, and I want you to go there and call out against them. Just see what happens. And, and you actually do. You go, and, and this, there's this pagan area. They're very cruel and mean toward each other. And, and you call out against it, and, and they repent. And you think, well, how would I respond? And, and hopefully, your response would be this combination of joy and amazement, uh, thankfulness and, and purpose, a lot of humility. You would think, God, look what happened. I just went and told me, or I told them what you told me to say, and, and look what happened. They all repented, every single one of them. God, that is great. This is awesome. You know, use me again. Send me somewhere else. This is great. Well, look what Jonah does. A, a prophet of all people. He meets this unexpected overwhelming repentance from in chapter 3 verse 5 from the greatest of them to the least of them all of them these pagans repent and Jonah chapter 4 verse 1 is angry displeases him greatly exceedingly is how my translation reads and you have to ask, why? What's going on, Jonah? Why are you angry about this? What's going on in your heart? And that always leads me to ask, then what's going on in my heart sometimes? Why, Jonah? Why are you so upset? And there's a, a little theme that's been running through here. There's a, a Hebrew word, and it's ra'ah, and it's been used in chapter 3, and, and in Hebrew... Words have multiple meanings, and, and you figure out the meaning uh, by how it's used in a sentence. There's different forms of a, of a root word. And, and so this word ra'ah, uh, it gets translated evil. And it, it's in chapter 3, verse 8, when uh, the king says, uh, let everyone turn away from his evil way. And then in verse 10, the, the same word is used twice, actually. It talks once again about their evil way. God saw they turned from their evil way. And then it said, God relented of the disaster. And it's the same root word there, ra'ah. It can be translated disaster. And, and that word is actually used twice again in this first verse of chapter 4, when it displeased Jonah. It's his ra'ah, and, and it's actually said twice to show you just how displeased he really is. And then there's another Hebrew word in there, the gadol word, which means, uh, the, the bottom line here is 
Jonah is really, really, really displeased. I mean, it's, it's emphasized pretty hard, but also with this theme of the Ra'ah, now he's going to have to take this on. Uh, as one commentator wrote, uh, his last name is Wolf, not that anyone cares, but except him, I suppose, but, uh, but he writes this, chapter 4 is now shaped and determined by the question whether Jonah's Ra'ah can be overcome like the Ra'ah of the Ninevites and the Ra'ah of God. The Ninevites, they repented of their Ra'ah. And God relented from the Ra'ah he was going to bring on them. But now can Jonah overcome his Ra'ah, his displeasure? He's angry. And that word that gets translated angry at the end of the verse there, uh, that also has the idea in Hebrew of hot, heat. He's burning with anger. He is hot. He is so upset about what has happened. And you ask, why, Jonah? Here's, here's this large city. And, and imagine this. All of these people in the city, from the greatest to the least of them, and they all come to an agreement on something here. I mean, we can't even hardly imagine this. They all agree, hey, let's treat each other well. We've been abusing people, and to use R.C. Sproul's term from last week, the social injustice that they had and the violence that they had, and they all turn away. All of them come to an agreement on this. And Jonah's hot, burning with anger about this. Now, I do like to see things from the other person's point of view, and so we'll kind of take a look at Jonah's point of view here. Uh, in defense of Jonah, Nineveh didn't really convert to Judaism. You know, they didn't really become people of God. They're not keeping the Jewish law. They're not circumcising the, the males. Uh, what Jonah sees here is a bunch of evil pagans who have changed their ways because they're scared, basically. Some things had happened, and, and so... They knew something was up, and when Jonah came saying, you better repent, or in 40 days, God's wiping you out. And they did the right thing, but you can kind of see Jonah's point of view here. Yeah, they're still evil. They're just scared. Also, uh, there had been some contemporary prophets uh, of Jonah's, Amos and Hosea. And they had recently uh, been prophesying and said that God was going to sovereignly use the Assyrians and Nineveh's the capital city of Assyria. But God was going to use Nineveh and, and Assyria to judge unrepentant Israel. Now Israel had their own problems and they had their own sin that they were clinging on to and that's why God was going to send them, uh, the Assyrians and including the, the Ninevites, to overtake Israel and, and actually take them into exile. And so Jonah's thinking, well, if there's no Nineveh, there's basically no Assyria. And if there's no Assyria, well, then there's nobody to wipe out Israel and take them uh, into exile. So that he's protecting his people uh, a little bit. Now, it's easier when you're on the outside looking in. And you could say, well, Jonah, wouldn't the better idea be to have Nineveh repent? And then go to Israel and see if you can get them to repent. You know, then 
we got a win-win situation, but Jonah's not thinking that uh, right now. He's thinking, well, here's Nineveh, and they repented, and God let them live. You know, in the back of his mind, he probably thought, I was 40 days away from God wiping these guys out, and God lets them live. And he's hot. See, Jonah wants to call the shots. Uh, and, and even more than that, he's trying to keep God from making what Jonah thinks is a bad decision. When you look on in verse 2, Jonah prays to the Lord and, and says, Lord, isn't this what I said when I was yet in my country? And, and that, that, that becomes part of his problem here, his, his country. That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. You know, now in chapter 1, there is no conversation. We don't see that God and Jonah were actually uh, discussing this, you know, and Jonah saying, hey, look, but if they repent, you know, you won't wipe them out. Uh, so maybe this was an unrecorded uh, conversation or maybe just inner speech. Uh, I, some translations, including the NET Bible, they translate this uh, as Jonah saying, this is just what I thought would happen. Just what I thought would happen here. I go, I speak out against them, and they they repent. And uh, I've mentioned this a few times, you know, leading into this, but, but once again, if this were the movie and, and you were seeing this for the first time, this is actually the first time that Jonah's shocking motivation comes out, really. Because what he's saying to God is, is basically this, I didn't want to give you the opportunity to relent. I didn't want you, I didn't want to give you the chance to see their repentance so that you wouldn't destroy them. He, he is so angry about this. Still thinking if they didn't repent, then God would have had to judge them. And, and they are Israel's main enemy, and they are Israel's cruel enemy. And he was so close. And the NET Bible note, they, they list uh, three reasons that, that Jonah is so angry that Nineveh is not destroyed. And the three reasons they list, and I'm just going to quote them as they're written. Number one, as a loyal nationalist, he despised non-Israelites. And, and that comes out with Jonah. I love my people my people only. And so that's one of his reasons. The second reason they list, number two, he believed idolaters had forfeited any opportunity to be shown mercy. And again, you think, but Jonah, your people in Israel, they're sinning and they're unrepentant. He wants mercy for them, but these other people, no, they don't deserve it. Uh, number three, and this one I hinted at, if God destroyed Nineveh, the Assyrians would not be able to destroy Israel. And so Jonah's got all of this going through his head, all of this pride and this fear even, this self-righteousness. And then he tells God, uh, continuing on in 
in verse 2. I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. And again, these are some words uh, that are powerful and really show you where Jonah's heart is at and what he's doing. You might look at them and think, what's the big deal with these words? I mean, he's right. But Jonah is doing something here that we see almost everybody do. Uh, Non-religious people do this uh, when they'll quote the Bible. Religious, and I use that very generally, a generally religious person does what Jonah is doing. And even the most devout Christian is in danger of doing what Jonah is doing right here when he's talking about God. He's misusing scripture to justify himself. Because these words come from Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, where God is telling Israel, I am, and it's almost exactly the same, I am a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and Jonah is misusing those words so that he can justify himself. And we are all in danger of doing that's the danger, knowing the Bible just well enough that we can misuse it whenever we want. And that's what Jonah is doing. You know, it's been said, if we feel more righteous as we read the Bible, we're misreading it. And those are very true words. I mean, you just think about uh, what Paul writes to Timothy. In 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, uh, and, and just think about the words, uh, Tim, or Paul writes to Timothy, all scripture, and, and we got to remember the all there, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness that we may be equipped to do the will of God. Not for puffing ourselves up and justifying ourselves. Once again, teaching, reproving, correcting, and training. When we read scripture rightly, it, it humbles us. It corrects us. It does encourage us in God's love and his grace. It does tell us of God's sovereignty it tells us that only he can save us. And Jonah knew this to a point. If you go back to chapter 2 and right at the end of verse 9, he ends his prayer, salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah can say some of the right things, but then when we get here, he said, yeah, salvation belongs to the Lord, but not for these people, because I want to be in charge of these people. And they don't get it. And Jonah, rather than trusting God, he feels that he has to choose between his people and God. He's not taking all of Scripture, all of the things that God says about obedience and all of the things how God says he will look out for Israel and he will, he will correct Israel and he will take care of them. King David's always going to have someone on the throne. He doesn't remember all of that. In his mind, he's thinking, well, I have to choose between the security of my people or following God 
And when that decision has to get made in his mind, he flees from God. Uh, Timothy Keller, a PCA a pastor up in, in New York for many years, and I've mentioned his book, The Prodigal Prophet, as he writes about Jonah, and he was writing about uh, this verse, and I read it, and I had to reread it, and reread it a couple more times, because he really, uh, really makes you think. Uh, but Timothy Keller writes this, when Christian believers care more for their own necessities, thank you, they are sinning like Jonah. If they value the economic and military flourishings of their country over the good of the human race and the furtherance of God's work in the world, they are sinning like Jonah. Their identity is more rooted in their race and nationality than in being saved sinners and children of God. Jonah's rightful love for his country and people had become inordinate, too great, rivaling God. And when he had to make the choice, he ran from God. But when Jonah was humbled, and Nineveh repented, and God relented of the disaster he was going to do on them, Jonah was furious. How could you do this, God? How could you do this? And then in verse 3, therefore, Lord, just kill me. I'd be better off dead. Just kill me. Here's a prophet and he's had one of the greatest mass repentances of all time, maybe in the history of humankind. And, and you would like to hear from Jonah, Lord, this is a great start. How do we make this stick? How do we bring them the rest of the way? They've repented. Now we've got them. Let's, let's bring them all the way, Lord. Uh, we would like to hear that, but we don't. He's just angry. He didn't get his way. His interests, he feels, are not being protected. God's will is being done, not, not his. And so he says, you know what? Just kill me. Just kill me, Lord. If you're going to have your way and I don't get mine, just kill me. I mean, think about what Jonah is praying here. Because when we get to his heart, what we see is something mattered more than God. God isn't his greatest joy. God's purpose isn't really what Jonah is after. There's something else that's greater in his heart. He's not getting it. He would just rather die. And then the Lord asks him in verse 4, Do you do well to be angry? Like God is looking at him and says, now let's think this through, Jonah. Are you really angry about the right thing here? By the way, this question comes up later in the chapter, and we'll get to it in a few weeks. But, but here he is, I, are you right in being angry, Jonah? Now, there is times, there are times, I should say, when you love something and, and maybe it's being threatened or harmed in some way, and, 
and the obvious thing is uh, parents with, with your children. And, and they're being threatened or harmed in a way, and you get angry, and, and sometimes that's good. You know, you get angry at the neighbor if he's letting your kid play with dynamite. No, that's not right. You know, let's not be stupid about this. And, and those times are okay, but look at this anger of Jonah. And look where this is coming from. His self-righteousness. I've got a plan, and my plan is better than anyone else's, including God's. I've got to say God from himself. He's too loving. Hey, he's got to follow my plan. His, his, his fearfulness. I was always putting limits on God, that God couldn't save Nineveh and also save Israel, unrepentant Israel at this time. Remember, they're still not right. They're still idolatrous. And, and the idolatry even in Jonah's heart. He's committed to other things more than he is to the will of God. And it's left him angry at everybody and everything, including God. Doesn't even want to live anymore. You know, early in the week, and this is the providence of God, uh, I was looking at the Beatitudes on Wednesday morning. We had our, our uh, Bible study, and, and it was uh, following Sinclair Ferguson's teaching, and, and he was on the Beatitudes. And... And so I was thinking of them early in the week, and then later on in the week as I was going through Jonah and, and studying this, uh, the words of the Beatitudes came back to me again. And this is from Matthew 5. It's how Jesus starts the Sermon on the Mount. But just some of the things Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the peacemakers. Jonah is none of these things. He's self-righteous. He's demanding justice, not mercy. He's not merciful. He wants destruction, not peace. He wants his way, not God's righteousness. And we are exactly like Jonah when we fly into our fits of self-righteous anger. We are exactly where Jonah is. As part of his teaching on the Beatitudes, Sinclair Ferguson uh, said this, and I will quote him. He said, the gospel empties you of all that you are and then fills you with all that he is. And that's where we need to be. Emptied of our pride, and self-righteousness, emptied of our anger and fear, but filled with Christ. Christ is all of those things in the Beatitudes. Christ is meek and merciful and righteous and peaceful. Filled with Christ. A desire for his purpose. He is our greatest treasure. He does give us joy. When his will is done, it should make us feel more alive, not say, I wish I were dead. The gospel, when we think of Christ dying on the cross for our sins, 
fills us with life. Gives us all things because in Christ we have all things. And so when we look at Jonah and his anger, his self-righteous, self-serving, misusing scripture anger, and we feel ourselves heading that direction sometimes, we remember the cross. And we say, wait a minute. There's a better way. There's Christ's way. And we've got to be drained of all of our pride so we can be filled with Christ and his way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for revealing to ourselves who we, who we are and the dangers we can fall into with watching out for our own interests rather than caring about yours. For trying to protect what we think we have, knowing that we actually have all things in you, May your will be done, and may that give us great joy and great purpose in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name.